0: Hey Rockheads, if you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming, it's also great for kids doing homework, it's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves, I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com, that's mtcb.pwop dot-net rocks episode
1: 1199 with guest kathleen dollard recorded thursday september 10th 2015
0: Guess what? It's time for DotNet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and this is Richard Campbell. Kathleen Dollard is here. We'll be catching up with her in just a few minutes. But first, uh, you know, we sometimes when it rains, it pours in New London, Connecticut, and right now it's (laughs) pouring. And just as we were getting Kathleen, I got a message, an emergency alert about flash flooding on my phone. Oh my! Yeah. So really. Has it rained that hard? Yeah, yeah. It's really raining hard. It's raining so hard I can hear it in the studio. And of course, I have not only double-pane windows, but I have inserts in the windows. So it's really hard for me to hear stuff. So, and yeah, soundproofing it's, and everything. It's raining hard. Yeah, it's no kidding. Summer came
1: back on the West Coast, man. We had a, we had a few rainy days and a big windstorm. I think you even sent me a note because you were worried about me. Yeah. And then uh, blew down some big trees. No two ways about it. And
0: then the sun came out again. Yeah, well, we, we're getting summer here again as well. Nice. Anyway, enough about the weather. Let's talk about F-Sharp Cohen's. What? Roll the music. Awesome. All right, dude. So one of our fans, Christoph Ulrich, sent us this, and uh, he's from South Africa, a good fan. Mm-hmm. He uh, found this um, these functional cones uh, that are based on edge cases ruby cones and the goal is to teach you f sharp through testing right and they're very small and they're very cool and you can do them like one minute at a time whenever you have a moment to spare yeah so uh go to tinyurl.com slash f sharp cones that's f-s-h-a-r-p-k-o-a-n-s and you can download them all there oh they're in uh, in github in github interesting yep and uh it, you know it's the kind of thing where you know, a lot of our listeners are like oh f sharp's great and i want to do it but i just don't have the time well you know you got a minute here and a minute there while you're enjoying your latte so
1: yeah this is a way to fight back from blank screen syndrome right it's Absolutely. like okay i'm opening f sharp project now what <laughs> yeah exactly you
0: get right in there and do something that's cool i love it yep what very good cool. find dude so thanks Christoph, and uh another great uh, tip from one of our fans. Who's talking to us, Absolutely. Richard? Absolutely.
1: Uh, grabbed a comment off of Kathleen's last show. That was 1035,
0: where we talked a lot
1: about Roslyn. And one of the last comments in there, and this is uh, quite a while ago, uh, was from Charles, who said, Roslyn will probably enable my wildest dream, someone to build a replacement for the VBA editor in Excel, <laughs> so that I'd be able to make use of VB.net in Excel directly. Roslyn combined with Excel DNA should make this quite doable. Yeah. And you know, you're right. The Roslyn compiler, that just opens the door to adding C# to everything you want. It's just the framework parts that have to go around it. Uh not that I know that anybody's attempting this whatsoever. Like it'd be it's going to be really interesting in the upcoming versions of Office and their transformation to see what they're going to do on the back end. Absolutely. I mean, they've had a really I wonder I got to go do the math on this. They might have been using VBA longer than VB even existed <laughs> yeah, I have to do the math on that. That's really interesting that you're right but uh, yeah it, it's and it, with it, when it's that deeply embedded it's pretty much a hard thing to replace. would be interesting to see uh, c sharp and uh, vb.net appear in the next version of office Could be cool. So, Charles, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we'll read it on the show and send you a mug. And,
0: of course, we tweet. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And we read all our tweets. So they're not falling on deaf ears. Now it's time to introduce Kathleen Dollard, um, one of our earliest guests on the show. And she's back. She wants to teach you to code better. Kathleen wants to teach you more about the tools you use every day and the tools you aren't yet using. Coding is her passion, and debugging is her challenge. You'll be happier if you do both better. Kathleen has written dozens of articles, spoken at conferences and user groups around the world, and pushes Microsoft to respond to your real-world needs as a longtime MVP. She's the Director of Engineering at Real in Denver, Colorado. Welcome back, Kathleen. Hey, how are you doing? It's been way too long since we've talked. Real. It, that's not real networks, is it? Like real No, Flyer? it's just
2: real. We're a consulting company. We've just rebranded and we're at uh, www.engagereal.com.
0: Fantastic.
2: I am just so excited about what we're doing. So, uh. It's it's been a great it's been a great change for me, but it's uh, like a big circle. I'm in, I'm part way around a big a big circle, and so it's pretty pretty fun right now. So
0: you've got a team that you're managing. You're not doing .dot NET. You're doing you're going yeah. off on Python and IntelliJ and Amazon. What what's going on with you? Yeah, yeah. So, uh,
2: so we, you know, right now we're a small company. We're in a growth phase. And so, uh, our, we have some clients right now that we're interested in work in Python and PHP. And we expect to go back to .NET because we actually believe it is in the overall ecosystem that it's the most productive uh, platform we can be on. But I will say that now the differences are more pocket change than life altering. Um, between the different platforms. So uh, right now, uh, what I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm director of engineering. So I am overall responsible for what goes on here, but I also embed in a team in one particular team, which is both for my growth and to help me stay very, very connected with this company. I've only been at for three months. Hmm. So my day to day coding is Django Python on a Mac in IntelliJ. Uh, going towards Amazon. I, there is not a, there's not a Microsoft tool with insight on the coding that I'm doing every day. Wow. And it has given me such a great perspective to, you know, I've been so long in Microsoft. I mean, it's been, I don't even want to say because it makes me sound way too old, but I've been there for so long. I really, I really didn't have enough respect for how good the other options are. And so IntelliJ is just a beautiful piece of work. And to go into Python as a dynamic language and have my editor hold me up—it's a life. It's just a life jacket every step of the way. It is so rare that IntelliJ does not catch a Python problem before it surfaces in uh, as a bug or as a, as a problem. So I'm working in this dynamic language, which of course I'm so strongly typed. I've been strongly typed almost my entire career. Mm. To be out of that and surviving. It's just a, it's just a great statement about how good IntelliJ really is. So I'm, I'm loving that.
1: But really interesting that it's the tool that's protecting you. Essentially. Well, yeah,
2: that's, and that's the, that's one of the, the perspectives that has been. I mean, I guess I kind of knew it, but to really get my head around the fact that it's the whole environment and ecosystem now. In no way is it one tool. Now in the right. Microsoft world, we still kind of get into that Visual Studio. It's all one thing. But when you go over to out of that space and you're running, you know, pip against a requirements list, which is just doing all of your installs for you way easier than NuGet is, and you're doing your, you know, you're still doing your deployments pretty much through GitHub, and you're doing, you've got all of these pieces, but they're playing really well together. It is that total environment that is um, is what matters. Now, I'll admit that I didn't set this up cold. And I might have a somewhat more jaded attitude if I'd had to do that work. But coming into the project with, uh, with just a great team that was, that had all that set up, you know, my problem has really been trying to get the stupid control versus the, the other funny key that, that Mac has, you know, that makes me insane. But, but the rest of it, has been easy. I mean, it really just is the fact that I'm still lost on a Mac keyboard.
0: How do you like that backspace key? <laughs>
2: yeah, don't you love it? Yeah, oh, my God. There are things that just make me insane and things that I can't believe are so hard. But then there's something that just hits me between the eyes. Uh, like this morning, I needed to do a small profiling task on a unit test. And so I I went out, I swear, people who are using IntelliJ will already be laughing, I went out and searched the internet for how to profile a unit test. I did all of this work trying to track mm-hmm. down how the heck to do it, and I couldn't find hardly anything. Well, then I turned around and looked at the right-click pop-up menu that happens when you're running a unit test, and it says run, debug, or profile. The coverage is in there as well. And it was right <laughs> it's there. And I, I just that's all I had to do. And it was just there's times like that that I'm just like, oh, I'm trying to make it way harder than it really is. Wait a minute, you're on a
0: Mac and you're right-clicking?
2: Oh, no, no, you're right. I wasn't right-clicking. I was doing whatever it is I do on a Mac because that is kind of, that part is in my brain. That's the one thing that I've actually got in my brain now.
1: Now, you're using IntelliJ. I thought that was for developing in Java.
2: No, there's fantastic Python plugins for that. I'm really happy with how it is uh, in the Python world.
0: And it also supports other languages, too, doesn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Boatloads of languages. But yeah. the, the Python stuff is very, very sweet. Uh, Coloration, IntelliSense. I, I don't know how they do IntelliSense um, on this language, which is just massively dynamic and not strongly typed and all. But it almost – it doesn't always have the full list. But if you, like, use – if it's clueless about what this variable is and you use a particular thing against the variable, it'll remember that you've done that. So it's kind of a duck typing type of uh, IntelliSense mm-hmm. when it's lost. But a uh, surprising amount of the time, it can infer a variable that I've got no clue how it managed to infer it. It just figures it out and gives me the right IntelliSense or the right uh, warnings and errors.
0: Now, it doesn't pick up everything, right? You still need to do unit tests, obviously.
2: Yeah, so unit testing has actually been a a really, uh, it's been a, it's been an interesting part of my life recently because I came in and there was testing, but the testing wasn't doing what I wanted done. So it wasn't improving our delivery performance. So it was fine in terms of quality, but not in terms of our productivity. So I made a big push after I got here to uh, test earlier and more and brought in a couple of new programming, I'm sorry, new uh, testing styles like a, the approval test that Llewellyn Falco does and some of that kind of stuff. So that all went, you know, that all went just fine and, and we we got that stuff in. And then I started looking at these test suites that we were building And really rethinking those. And so I don't know if we want to talk about this right or not, but I've started doing something called semantic testing, which is making our unit testing problem just so much more sane than it was before we started doing it. And so that's been, it's been a really fun thing to come in and change the DNA of the organization and then start doing a, a kind of fundamental change to the way I think about tests and There may be other people who have already been doing this, but it's been a great experience for me to go through these changes.
1: So what do you mean when you say semantic testing?
2: So we can think about tests, and we often do think about tests, as a setup, do something, and then assert things. So the semantic testing really just takes that into being uh, very discrete methods. So it's common that a unit test for me will be three lines long. So one line collects the data, uh, often collecting it from a common set of of just test data that I'm using. So if I need an account, then I have a way that I can just call a method and get an account. Sometimes I'll make changes to it, but often I won't. And then I'll call a single method that will do whatever this test is intended to accomplish. Like, let's just say it's saving the account, or it's resetting a password, Mm -hmm. or it's doing whatever other job I'm trying to test right then. And then I'll have another single line, which is to assert... And it'll to assert like you know whether this action happened, and sometimes there's more lines in it than that. But the goal of this is right there, looking at just that part of it, is to have anybody re- very very quickly be able to see whether the test is in fact making sense with the name of the test. So we know we want good test names, and that's great. And I have very long, wonderful test names, but then the test itself is readable, and I can scroll through the file very easily to see what's happening. So the second thing that it gains, which is actually really, the has been the big part, which is the actions are a defined list. So sometimes they may have a lot of goofy parameters, like, um, you know, I, I'm working on a notification system and whether a message is supposed to fail or not. So they might have some goofy parameters, but there's still a test method that takes all of that gunk and does it in exactly one place. So it it allows us to do some code reuse that's kind of nice to not have to write it. But the big thing is we really understand what we're doing. Now, sometimes you might do one, two, three, or four different things, but then you're calling one, two, three, or four of these very specific methods in your test. So your test remains exceedingly readable. Similarly, you might do multiple asserts instead of just one assert. But the overall, the test is staying definitely less than 10 lines long, rather short. And it's really given us a capacity to get our heads around whether we're testing what we want to test and write tests way faster. And the plan is that then if we ever have changes, and you know how sometimes tests, no matter how hard you try, they wind up brittle in terms of naming changes or something else going on, a change in the database or something. And this ripples through and you wind up with tests that are more brittle than you thought they were.
1: You know, I ran into a similar situation at Strange Loop where we went through a major version change on the product and it basically destroyed all of the testing framework. We we essentially started over. Right. How do you... So you're saying semantic testing is resisting that tendency to shatter all the the tests?
2: Well, because the test itself is in most cases going to be very resilient to that, because it's just doing these these calls, which are calling out to a finite number of methods. Now you can bust apart every single one of those methods, but you have 20, 30, or 40, and you may have 100 or 500 tests against the finite number of actions. So you can break the methods that are doing the actual actions and fix them. That's not a big deal. The tests themselves, the actual logic of why did we write this test and how did we go about accomplishing this, that's kind of protected behind a wall. So it's just an abstraction between the test and what the test is accomplishing.
0: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the bug-crushing superpower that is RayGun. If you're wanting to detect and diagnose errors and crashes in your software, even find problems that you didn't know existed to improve your software, then RayGun may be perfect for you. Add a few lines of code to your application, and in minutes you'll get real-time error reports with all the information you need to fix bugs fast. You can even hook it up to your team chat, bug tracking, and development workflow tools. RayGun covers all major web and mobile programming languages and platforms, including .NET, the full Xamarin stack, JavaScript, and many more. Go check out Raygun today at raygun.io and say hello for us. So if I can just back up a little bit, a semantic test is a sort of a a test that has a sort of a decision tree in it, like an if-then. Is that essentially the gist of it? Well, mine don't. So what's the difference between, because it sounds like you're just describing test-driven development. You're just describing unit tests.
2: Well, certainly there there's an aspect of that because you're certainly building on the long-time Agile ideas of very good test names and then doing a setting up for a test, doing something, and asserting. So mm. you're definitely building on that. So what you're doing is you're taking uh, – and the value that, that I'm seeing most is in the action part. So you're taking the action part and you're not doing it in the method. You're never touching a service, you're never touching a repository, you're never touching uh, any players from the test itself. You're testing you're touching another piece of your testing infrastructure, and that goes and touches whatever you need to, to to alter or to do. So generally you have multiple tests that have different conditions and different things going on that are going out and doing the same operations, the same actions. So you might have three or ten tests that are using the same the same worker method that you're you're just going out and using to accomplish the action
1: and so this is the this just level of abstraction makes them less brittle it sounds like i mean most of what you're saying is common sense you know maybe
2: it is absolutely common sense and and i'm i wonder if you know people are just going to say you idiot i've been doing that forever um I had not been doing that level of abstraction. And I certainly had not been touching databases from within tests, but I had been touching, um, you know, whatever I was testing. If I was testing a repository, I was touching a repository. If I was testing a service, I was touching the service. If I was testing something else, I was touching it. And right. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm putting a layer in between there. And that's really offered a good level of resiliencies for this, this test, I these see. tests. And it also makes it easier to write a bazillion of them. <laughs>
0: And is it something that gets can be written automatically with a tool or are you still writing your tests?
2: I'm writing them right now, I'm writing them by hand. Um I would love to move into a world where I was creating edge conditions in particular, uh boundary conditions mm. via a tool. I think that is a huge step that we need to take. We've played around the edges of that problem and I would I really believe we will actually move that direction. I'm not doing that right now.
0: Gotcha.
1: All right. Well, these two things hold together pretty nicely because, I mean, if you're going to make a dynamic language like Python work for you, build reliable code, you've got to take testing really seriously.
2: Yes, but I'll say that I'm actually – it's not a lot different than it is for my .NET code. Um, Really? I feel like I'm testing about the same. Uh, Using The way Django is put together, it turns out that my coverage is a little higher, but I think that has more to do with how much infrastructure uh, already exists that has nothing to do with my coverage and how I'm relating to that. Because, you know, I just did some work and I did not think at all about coverage until I was delivering. But I needed to find my test coverage number. It's one of the things I needed to know. And I went through and checked and I was at 93%, which I was pretty happy with. That's pretty um, good. Yeah.
1: Nothing to complain about. That's that's a pretty high number. Yeah. For those yeah, who haven't so, encountered it,
0: what's the story of Django? Yeah. What is Django? Exactly.
2: So Django is a framework that works with Python, and it's basically MVC for Python. Nice. That would be a, a very short description of like, it.
0: More like Rails because I it's dynamic?
2: Say it's, it's, it is, but it feels more like MVC. It, okay. it feels more, it's got some funky naming. So, like, they call what we call a controller, a view, and I don't totally have my head around that, except I read a little dictionary that translated between Django words and MVC words so <laughs> that I wouldn't go insane.
0: Okay. <laughs> you know,
2: there is some funkiness like that, but uh, it, I don't understand all of it. It's got a nice system for moving from the request into uh, a data object. That is, it's quite nice. They call it a, a form, which we would never use that word. Mm-hmm. But that that system is actually quite nice. Has a lot of very good validation in it. It' uh, very easy to actually write once you get your head around the fact it's got a funky name from the perspective of somebody who knows MVC.
0: I guess speed is a real consideration with Django. Everybody says it's really fast.
2: Well, you know, I haven't run, I haven't really run tests comparing any of this, so it's kind of hard for me to say. I know we haven't run into any performance uh, problems. So I guess far. I'm
0: talking about development, you know, development time.
2: Oh, development time. Yeah. You know, I'm really happy with it, but I'm not, I'm not convinced it's faster than, uh, than MVC would be for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just doing the back end with that. And so we're really just looking at the controllers and what happens behind the controllers. Uh, the views we're doing all via uh, HTML. And I think I can't remember if we're in Angular or React. We we should be in re- Angular on that. Uh, we're doing a lot of React as well, but that's a, still in Angular.
0: So I'm interested to know why you chose this this stack. Was it a requirement, or were there guys already doing this was um, Was it a choice that you made based on economics? What's what? Why why the stack?
2: This is a choice that the client uh, made. The client already had Python in place, and they were moving into a web world. Uh, they're doing a lot of non-webish thing, and and not so outwardly facing as the project we're working on. So mm-hmm. when we came in and wanting just a bang up, fantastic user experience, we wanted to build it on the stack that they understood and could use. After, I mean, we'd like to be there forever, but realistically, as a consulting house, we know we may not be. And so we want to leave something that's easy for them to take over. So that was really the driver behind using the Python Django stack.
1: All right. You you also mentioned using Amazon. So the, just the cloud service part, is that this W3C?
2: Yeah. Um, we're mostly using uh, just some of the the services, query notification, that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, we're mostly in that. And then we're uh, we're actually deploying out to Amazon, I believe. So I'm actually – deployment I'm still allergic to, and I really have to get over it. I need to spend a couple of days deep into our, our deployments here, but uh, it's going smoothly. So I've kind of been – so far, I haven't really gotten deep into that. So that's uh,
1: – You mean the deployment's just happening?
2: Deployment is happening, and I'm really happy because, you know, that – we're uh, – I work with this fantastic team with people that are very strong and because – I just came on here uh, two and a half months ago, and so all the stuff that was going well before I got here, I haven't paid a lot of attention to. The right. stuff that I knew I could contribute to—that's where my focus has been for the last couple of months. But it,
1: well, yeah, you know, like you said, you jumped on the ahead. whole testing scenario here, which I, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's obviously an area where everybody can improve. Uh, you know, we—I don't think I don't have—I've ever run it across anybody who just said I'm really happy with how we're doing testing.
2: Well, you know, I have to say that right now I am pretty happy when you're just doing your job and you're using your testing as the way to get your job done. And then you run your numbers and find that you're running 93%. You kind of sit back and go, yeah, you know, that was good. So, um, I can't say I'll ever say we have enough testing. I know that boundary conditions will always, until we get tools that measure them, will, will always be able to be better at that because coverage doesn't give us that at all. It only gives us whether we, we touch the code, not whether we touch the code from all the logical values that might come in in the real world. Yeah, so exactly. of course, you know, I could test more, but I feel okay about it right now.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a good place to be. And it's interesting to jump into a team like this and just sort of figure out where you can help.
2: Well, and to jump in at a leadership level. So I have, as you know, you, I don't know if your listeners won't know, you know, I've been independent for decades. And mm-hmm. so to come into an organization, um, you know, as the director of engineering, uh, it's just, it, you know, it's not a huge company, but it's still, you know, there's a lot of people looking, you know, looking to me and to come in and be doing this, you know, leadership role. And I've been, I've been around leadership, thinking about it, you know, working on it, you know, teaching some ideas with it for a long time, but actually be day in and day out leading the same group. It's awesome.
0: So you're managing a team. What is that like? I mean, have you ever managed a team? I mean, you've managed teams before, but what's different about this time?
2: So I've managed teams before. It's just been a while. Uh, I I have managed teams in the short term, but to actually be long-term responsibility for a group of people and then to have to be embedded in one of those teams. So there's one team that I'm actually working uh, day to day with. And then overall in the organization, I contribute to basically defining what it means to be all the, all the leaders that we have here. So we have a, a group that gets together and talks about moving overall team leadership forward, because we have about five uh, or six people that are involved in team leadership. And, I think the most important thing about team leadership that I knew, but actually playing it out has been fun, is that it doesn't matter what a leader does. It, it really doesn't matter. The cool. only thing that matters is whether the team is more productive because the leader's there. Right. That's that's the thing. And so there are very clear things you can do, just like testing. You know, makes you go faster and gives you better quality. So that's very real. So we know things like that about team leadership, but you really have to stay humble and say, it's these people I'm working with who are fantastic and we have a great environment and all that. All that's already set up. But what can I do to make them better? Because if I make, you know, 15 people better or five people better, then that's a far bigger impact than I'm ever going to have sitting down and doing something myself.
1: Hmm. I'm just fascinated. It's- this idea that you jumped into a leadership role. On a stack you weren't familiar with, with tools you weren't familiar with.
2: If they had told me all of that up front, I would have been scared to death. But <laughs> my uh my CEO is an is an old friend and mentor and great guy, Fernando Cardenas, and he talked me into coming to work uh here, uh including supporting me continuing to do things outside, including .NET Rocks and including Dev Intersection and STD conference and the things I'm still doing. So they, they they want to support me still being me. And so I said, okay, that's good. I'll come. That'll be great. Okay, I'm leading this. Okay, what do I do now? And that's like, okay, that team right there really needs you right now. Hmm. And so I jumped in there, and it's Django and Python. And, oh, man, all of a sudden, here <laughs> these people are teaching the director of engineering how to turn on a computer. It was really <laughs> sad.
1: <laughs> nice.
2: But But part of what a great team is is that – We're all there to help each other every day, top to bottom, no difference. And the fact that, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody is helping me with a problem. Sometimes I'm helping them with a problem. And this sense of we're all in it together. We're all trying to meet these outcomes. And so we rock along and we're doing a lot of things really well. And we say, well, what can we be better at? And I think that's the other thing about leadership is that you have to realize that you've got to be getting better all the time. And you can figure out what exactly you're getting better at right now. For me, it's Python right now.
0: Mm. Right. Have you found that you've discovered solutions that, um, you know, from other platforms that apply that they weren't necessarily thinking of at the time? Or are problems, problems everywhere?
2: You know, that that is a fantastic question because actually I do bring a new perspective and things that this team hadn't thought about before. Now, I have no experience with other Python teams. So things like this morning, I had a question about the performance of a particular system level call in in Python, which was important this morning. And so I just set up to do this profiling thing. Well, the team here just hadn't encountered anything where they needed to think about it from that kind of Let's profile it. Let's find the real answer. Perspective. Right. Well, in the .dot in the net world, we always do that. I mean, how we set timers all the time yeah. to figure out what something's doing. I guess it's because sometimes it's slow in .dot net. We have to know it. Mm. So there have been times that that um, my thinking was a little different. I use lambdas a little more than the team was doing when I came on. Yeah. So yes, there is a cross fertilization that's really good now. The team that I'm working with is also a .NET team. So it wasn't a big, huge difference because this is a team that is very competent in both .NET and Python, uh, which is is great fun because we we get it and we can talk the language. And when I say, I don't understand why Django uses these weird words for things I understand from this other perspective,
0: Yep, we sure. all know
2: it. So that's good.
1: Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Know what time it is? It uh, must be that happy time again.
0: Yeah, it's time to tell you about the new UK TV channel that shows people drinking beef eater cocktails twenty four seven. What's it called? Uh Gin Tellier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a long way to go for a juniper joke, but I'll take it. <laughs> and it's a Canadian joke too, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. Come on now. It's uh, something. Ah, well, it's actually time to give away a DEXperience experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office inspired application or a data centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free thirty day trial at DevExpress.com/slash superhero. All right, buddy, who's our winner? You're not gonna believe it. I believe it. It's Erwin Blanc. Oh my goodness, Erwin. <laughs> Double golf clap for you, One sir. Of our longest our biggest fans. How do we say longest running fan? He's. I don't know. He's an old fan. He's not Been old. around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Erwin, congratulations. He just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from DevExpress. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. Okay, Kathleen, it's your turn. $5,000. Let's go shopping. What are you buying?
2: I'm going to commit a felony.
0: <laughs> you, need, you know you have the money. You need $5,000 for bail? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no.
2: No, I'm... I'm going to bribe a public official.
1: Oh,
0: Oh, no. For what end?
2: Well, I don't know about the places you live, but there's information that a transit company can release about where its buses are that allows the creation of an app like a Where's My Bus app. And we're still waiting to get that information in Denver. And I really want it. And I, I know it's in the cards. And I know they're working on it. And I really want it faster. And I really want it even if it's not all correct. And even I just want it. I want it really badly. And I want it before it starts snowing. And so <laughs> that's what I would do is I would try to get my where's my bus information sooner. All Do you right, really yeah. think
1: that it's politically blocked, or is it the politicians that push it over to the tech people say release this and they're too embarrassed to, or it doesn't work? Or, or not it's a technical problem.
2: I I don't know. I I, I work at getting as much inside information as I can, but it's a little tricky. So I don't know exactly all the things. I know they're working on it, and I know that it's not quite as simple a problem as I probably think it is, and I know that Denver RTD right now is in the midst of some enormous, enormous uh, initiatives, and it could well be wrapped up in that.
1: How, how could you guys be this busy? You're all supposed to be high.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we do that too. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, but the, you know, the interesting thing is it's the information is that I will write the app. I will have the app written, I believe, in a week. Okay. I don't know if it'll be in the store in a week, but it'll be very, very quickly available to everybody as soon as I can get to the public APIs. And it's fascinating to me that in this day and age, we've changed such that it's not any piece of equipment that will make me happy and save hours of my life every week. It's information. Information is more valuable to me. There's nothing that that I can buy that will save me an hour or two a week. And this will. Wow. I don't like waiting for buses. And it's still pretty. (laughs) I walk because I don't want to wait for the bus. So I I walk about uh, two and a half miles each way to work because I would rather not sit at a bus stop. And when the weather gets bad... I'm going to be sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm I'm in an urban neighborhood, and it's $17 to park if I drive to work. And I have a car and a parking spot and all that fancy stuff, but I'm not driving to work and paying $17 to park. That's just craziness. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so that's well, how I'd spend, spend $5,000 is I try to stay out of state prison. So.
0: <laughs> well, good luck with that. We'll uh, come and visit you in your jumpsuit I think you're going about this wrong
1: you you want to spend five thousand dollars on lobbying. Ah there you go. Oh
2: okay lobbying and 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 I've already I've already tried to get word through that I would I would uh, test their app and I will I will I will let them use my son's algorithmic genius and all pay them I mean I've already tried to convince them but so far they have not given me special treatment to get the data early.
0: So one of the things that you talk about in your bio anyway is you help developers become better developers, you help teams become better teams, and you like to help coders get better at being coders. Yes. How how do you do that?
2: So one of the ways I do that, uh, one of the ways I love to do that is to teach, and I am still teaching Uh Not as much, but I'm still doing a couple of uh, big conferences a year. And I will be doing a workshop at Dev Intersection, full-day workshop. Mm -hmm. On uh, It's going to be very intense, I will warn you. But it's for um, intermediate to advanced coders to make them better coders. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff for making teaching people how to initially code, but to actually make you better at what you're doing. We'll be looking deeper into generics, deeper into... Uh, delegates, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I'm doing a similar workshop, although it will be far more in depth and a uh, a saner pace as well in London. Uh, SDD conference is doing a deep dive and I'll be three days in London. And I think that's going to be a a great experience for the people that can get to that workshop in London. So uh, those are both on my agenda uh, I'm actually going to be on the road for three weeks straight because between those two events is the MVP Summit, and so wow. I will be trying to figure out some place in Seattle to do my laundry. So it should be <laughs> should be great fun.
0: Well, if you find a place, let me know too because I'm going away for two weeks as well and not uh, not going home in between. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
2: it, it it should be a should be a fun uh, should be a fun trip. I'm looking forward to it because. Uh, I'm going to try to make it maybe to uh, to Manchester or someplace interesting around the trip to uh, to London. So it does seem like it's going to be a frantic hope.
1: conference season this year. Just a lot of stuff going on, and the well, MVP summit.
2: Yeah, you know, mine's really calm except for that three weeks, and so yeah. uh, I get to focus, and then three weeks, and then focus again. So that'll be fun. It'll be great. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's. It's better than a real job, so we say.
2: <laughs> well, we, we like to, uh, we, we do have a lot of focus here on being real and defining what it means and being uh, true to our beliefs and our and what we're doing. And one of the great things about that in this company is that we feel really lucky. And as part of that... The corporation as well as individuals have a commitment to give back. And so, uh, it's, it's, we're committed on the website now, uh, to, we have an impact project. We're still working on exactly what it'll look like, but we want to get, we will give back corporate time, corporate money directly for people to develop, um, against the project that we work on. And we, team entrepreneurs with engineers that's the core of how we do our business and that's what we're doing on our impact project so right now we're early on Uh, we're trying to find more information about what's needed for a platform um, on telehealth which is the idea worldwide of being able to connect people with doctors and we're just trying to figure out what's needed right now the entrepreneur side is working with people that have come to us and said hey there's a hole And we looked at that and said, wow, you know, it's the actual platform that people can build on top of that is the piece we think that is a, is a good starting point. And obviously, you know, uh, Richard with humanitarian toolbox, you know, you'll be one of the people we'll be, we'll be talking to more, uh, because this idea of those of us that are so lucky to be smart enough to be able to develop software to actually do it for good cause, at least some of the time. Uh, is is really a, a fun part of my job fun part of what I do.
0: Hey, Kathleen, I want to bring it back to the um to the newness of your your tools here. What were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome
2: in moving into Python and Django?
0: yeah in yeah, exactly.
2: So, I really, I think it's an incredibly sad thing to say, but I will say the Macintosh was my biggest hurdle. Having been on PCs since the very first time I came off of a mini computer, it, it, that was hard. It, it's still hard. It's hard for me to find programs and all that.
0: Was it absolutely necessary for you to use Mac? I
2: don't know. That was never a question. It was really the, the, the <laughs> team, you know, is, is setting me up for success yeah. and matching them, looking like them was okay. part of the thing that we needed to do for success. And so, yeah, they, uh, they said, this is what you should do. And I said, yes, they, they knew the space and I didn't. And I think it was the right thing to do. Is it possible that I could have put my foot down and said no 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 I have to make this work on Windows but what a waste of time that would have been Yeah sure I agree of,
0: I agree yeah. yeah but so you're really saying that all the all the tools and the language and um integration and all of that stuff was just very straight ahead there was there was nothing that challenged you I mean now granted you're very smart and it takes a lot to challenge you but
2: no, I don't mean to say that at all. I've had a lot of challenges along the way. That was just the most that was the thing that tripped me up the most. The most. So yeah. I will I will say that I generally have between ten and thirty-five uh tabs open in my browser because of searches I've done for some little thing like finding the length of an array or some other just stupid thing right. that I would never slow down on in C sharp or Visual Basic because I know those languages inside out and backwards in a new language. Um, and, and I, I actually was surprised that the dynamic didn't trip me up more than it did, but every once in a while that still trips me up. And the, the, the language itself, how do I, how do I concatenate a string? You know, is it, is it a plus? Oh yes, it's a plus. How do I increment an integer? And so these were the things that actually tripped me, you know, that those kinds of things I had to do, but I did them So quickly, because unlike the last time I learned, I mean, I've learned languages in the, I'll admit it, in in the 80s and 90s. In the previous century, I learned languages. And there, you know, you flipped through a book or something and you had to remember what you learned because it was very expensive to get that little piece of knowledge. Now it takes me 15 seconds right. to go find out how to do X, Y, or Z. Sure. Python has great documentation. Thank what about,
0: you. What about on the AWS side, on the Amazon services? Are there, um, uh, I mean, you've been using Azure for a long time. Differences? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've been able to be pretty light on that. Um, again, the deployment side, I'm not having to worry about it. The uh, services that they provide, uh, I find to be a little tiny bit awkward, but we wrap those in, uh, in the ones I'm pretty much in Boto3 is what we wrap them in. And Boto3's got good documentation and generally a pretty sane interface. So I have to do more exploration. So it's more often that I'll do a call, get the result, try to figure out what the heck's been handed back to me, then that I can actually find all that sometimes just looking at the documentation. So lots of experimentation, but overall, uh, you know, in terms of like going into an entirely new world, an Amazon, it's not been nearly as hard as I thought it would be.
1: The goals don't seem to be all that different, really, right? They this. It may be a different room
0: and it may be different furniture, but you're still just trying to sit down. Well, I've, I've used Amazon quite a bit and I just find that the, you know, just using these tools in general through the browser and, you know, you may end up with the same kind of problems in, in Azure. If you've got a lot of data to worry about or you got a lot of configuration, um, you know, just wishing for a, a Windows desktop version, you know.
2: Well, there's certainly been times that I've gotten frustrated with, with just trying to get the job done, but it's not been nearly as bad as I thought it would be. I guess I sort of thought that when I stepped out of the fluffy, nice, all the furniture matches world of yeah. Microsoft and Visual Studio into the little bit more eclectic world outside that I would trip over the furniture and mm. I would, I would have trouble. And overall, it's been much easier than I expected. And I can't wait to take that back to Microsoft. I am more excited about this summit than any other summit because I've got a perspective that's broader. I know the world that Microsoft is fitting into much more than I ever did before.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is clearly where the Microsoft community is headed as well. You know, the the days of all the tools you need will come from Microsoft. They're just, they're gone.
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is that is one of the reasons I'm so happy that, you know, it wasn't something that I can't say anyone set out and said Kathleen should should do this right now. But I'm so happy that it happened in this way where I'm having this this little uh, fling with the rest of the world. And I expect I'll be back in Microsoft land because. I'm really good at it, and I still think it's a tremendously productive platform, but I am I'm get to go play right now in the rest of the world, and it's just been great. Now, there there is one other thing I should actually say on the whole me learning Python thing, and that's that I have a huge ace up my sleeve that most people don't actually have, and that is that my son, my brilliant, I have two sons, but my brilliant computer son actually works in Python for a game called Prismata, and so when I'm not sure about something, like I had a, a very difficult recursive problem that had to be done perfectly correctly, and I just get him on Skype and have him review my co- review my code and tell me what I've done right and wrong. <laughs> very so,
0: nice. <laughs>
2: so, so it's great. I mean, I have to say, when your kids grow up and, and they get to teach you Python, oh my God, you know, what could be better than that? It's just fantastic. So, yeah. That's been great. And the fact that he knows async and he knows, you know, he knows all these really hard things. He doesn't work with Django, but the Python itself, um, Prismata is actually a, uh, it's a, it's a great game, but it's uh, got a a big, um, it's got a big scaling issue. It's got to scale very, very big. And so Ben was part of the creation of the scaling uh, of the Prismata servers. And so through that, um, he's been a fantastic resource for me and for my team to do certain things uh, in Python and make sure we were doing them right. So that's been great.
1: Any? do you think you just learned Python by osmosis there because you're so close to him?
2: Well, he's in Toronto and I'm in Denver. So okay, how not close that close is close. that?
0: Well, you're always a <laughs> click away. I've done some Python and I thought it was really great. I enjoy it a lot. It, you know, it's, it's very a, simple.
2: It and, and there's a way in which, because there's so many rules that don't get broken, that can't be broken, that you wind up really, if you do good naming and you do reasonable method links and not too much nesting, and you get those problems solved, your code is beautiful. There's, there's nothing else. And so that's one of the really nice things to me about the Python idea. And I actually, I have to say, I, I was never excited about there being an Iron Python, but I really hope we get a Python on Roslyn. Um, I, a Python on the .NET platform I could care less about, but fully in Roslyn, I would love us to have a Python there. Uh, I think I'd use it sometimes. But then you got to get the whole dynamic thing working in Roslyn really good, so I don't know. We'll see if that ever happens.
1: Well, I remember when we remember John Lamb and Jim Huguenin, and there was there was going to be an, there was an Iron Python and an Iron Ruby, and there was going to be a DLR. There was this whole idea of adding dynamic support to uh, the the shared runtime, and it, it just never ended up going anywhere.
2: Well, the DLR is actually there, yeah, so it's we there. actually. Yeah, so we've got the DLR, we've got the dynamic in there, but it's for very specific pieces with C-sharp and VB. Uh, it's not
0: broad. I think what Richard's saying never went anywhere. It's not really, you don't hear about people using it a lot.
2: Well, it, it never grew up to be the dynamic platform for a dynamic language. It's only to do the side things in C-sharp and VB. And whether that could ever grow up to be, to support yeah. a full dynamic language... If it did, then we then we are talking about maybe TypeScript. But I thought Roslyn. Iron
0: Ruby and Iron Python were on the DLR, and those those were fully implemented. No, uh,
2: I don't know. They may have been, but they're not in Roslyn. And at this point, I only care about what's in Roslyn on the .NET world <laughs> because gotcha. if if we can't do analyzer, <laughs> I mean, I've got the links then- to Iron
1: Ruby and Iron Python. But you know, Iron Ruby uh, release as of March twenty
2: eleven. Okay. Okay. Right? Cool. Like
1: that's uh, it's been a while yes Yes. i don't know how alive you would call that i mean iron python at least had a release in in june of 2014 okay still it's um yeah i I, I don't know what to say you know you think about this like f sharp came along as an msr research project and it became part of studio Yes. I, I would have thought that, that the dynamic languages would have gotten the same treatment. They should just be part of Studio. And not that I'm on it all in Microsoft, but it's sort of it's then you know where it stands.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know what Microsoft is thinking now in terms of other languages. Um, I, I really, all I hear about, the only focus I hear about is the big three, C Sharp, Visual Basic, and F Sharp. So if there's anything else going on, I'm, I'm not aware of it right now. So yeah, my guess mind. is it's not. Uh, and, and, again, I think we need things now to be on Roslyn because, you know, the, the fact that we can get the code into a a common structure or a nearly common structure and work from that is so powerful. I have no idea how IntelliJ does the uh, all the checks that it does against the code, but it's mm-hmm. way more than anything we have on the .NET side, and it's extremely valuable to run and get, you know, I mean, I feel very proud that I got my IntelliJ uh, warnings uh, down to under 50, and about 40 of those are in things that I have imported. They're not in my code, but they're in things that sit in my code base, but I didn't write them, so I'm not going to update them. And so that's hard because they have, I mean, it's a huge list of things that they actually check for. I want that in Roslyn, and I want that in .NET and with analyzers, and that requires Roslyn. So that's why... I care about Python and .NET when it's on Roslyn.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you said you're going to be at um, Dev Intersection and at the MVP Summit, so I guess we'll see you there.
2: Yeah, I can't wait to see you both.
0: Dev Intersection's proving to be quite big this year.
2: Oh, fantastic. That yeah. is good news. I had not heard that, and I'm not surprised because it is going to be a fantastic show. And so uh, there's some just amazing stuff that's going to be going on there, from a bunch of great workshops to some just drop dead fantastic keynotes. And I'm really happy about the, the talks I'm giving, and you guys will be there. So yep. I just it's going to be a great show.
0: Totally agree. We'll see you there, Kathleen. Thanks so much. Okay. All Have right. A good day. You too, and we'll see you next time on .net Rocks. .net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pop Studios Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm is hard.